be talking about the Word, and we're going to read one verse. And it uh, is a pretty powerful one, and I don't know what just happened. Can we hit play again? Let's try it. Can we hit play again? One more time. I'm going to do what I normally do. Okay. Are you going to have to do this for me? All right. Then do it for me. Start again. Hit next. What are, what are you, what, what are you doing? Oh, we're on the last slide. Let's go to the first slide, shall we? All right. Yeah, there we go. It's so great to have a techie congregation. <laughs> Let's read together from 1 John 2, 14. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that's in your word and I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I pray that you would anoint our hearts and that you would make us alive and sensitive to what you want to say to us because without you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, I ask that you would anoint not just what I say, but our ears as we hear, mine as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Because of uh, Jill Coble's um, sessions on the Holocaust back during the fall, I got interested and in, uh, began to read William Shira's Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And uh, there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that, but a couple things that I want to bring out. First of all, let me just say, this isn't one of the things, but uh, if you read the last quarter of that book in the same week that you go to see Les Mis, you will have weird dreams. <laughs> and that's what I did. But, but a couple of lessons that I, that I brought out of it, and one of them, and I, I don't know, I guess maybe older people maybe know this, uh, this might be a little bit more for younger people, but... Bold insanity can appear successful for a time, up to a point. Well, I mean, when you, when you just do something crazy and do it big. Uh, now, sometimes it doesn't appear successful ever. But, I mean, it can appear successful for a while. And it's, it's important to know that. It's also important to know that it inevitably will come crashing down. Whenever, whenever you just go, wow, that's just so crazy, I'm going to do it. Yeah, it will inevitably come crashing down and usually with terrible consequences for a number of people. So it's, it's important to be aware of that as, as you begin to be approached by bold, insane ideas. But the second uh, takeaway that I really had from this book, and you really get it from virtually any book about, about war, is that there are turning points where crucial decisions are made in, in our lives. There are turning points uh, that set the course, set the direction for things that are going to be going on in life. It's true in all wars. Uh, in, in World War II, there were a bunch of them. Uh, 
Um, Hitler's decision not to invade Britain was one of them. His decision to open up a second front in the East was one of them. The Allies ha had a few. Some of them they made right, some of them they, they didn't. Uh, in our own nation's history, uh, Civil War, Pickett's Charge at Gettysburg, and uh, this, y'all do know about history, right? Yeah, and um, Washington's decision across the Delaware, those were, those were turning points. Those were crucial, critical places that happen in wars, and the same thing happens in our lives. The same thing is true in life. There are, there are critical points that come up in our lives where we have decisions that we need to make that are going to set the course for a lot of things that are going to happen in the future. Some of them are very obvious. One of the more obvious ones is, is that one, marriage. Uh, when, whenever I do a wedding, and as I get older, I do fewer and fewer weddings and more and more funerals. I think that's kind of the way life works. That's kind of the way that happens, but that's okay. Uh, as I, whenever I do weddings, I, I try and always say the same thing to couples. Um, it feels a little futile because I know they're not listening and nobody remembers anything that was said at their wedding uh, at all. I don't remember any. I, husband and wife, kiss the bride. That's it. I, that's, all, that's all I remember from mine. But uh, I usually try and tell them, you are, beginning to, you are entering into something that is very powerful here. It has the power to, to make you something you could never possibly become on your own. And it has the power to absolutely destroy you. This is a strong thing that you're getting hold of here. And, and that marriage decision is a very, very strong thing. Margaret becoming my wife had such an incredible impact on my life. And I'm not just, you know, I'm not just trying to earn brownie points here. But the, the, the richness and, the, and the, the wealth that was brought into my life by getting this woman to marry me is... I, I, incalculable just absolutely incalculable really is what I've been for her you'll have to ask her but uh, but that's what she, that's what she's been for me uh, the decision to have kids or in the case of some people to have kids and have kids and have kids and have kids and have kids <laughs> It's a big, it changes your life. It absolutely changes who you are and what you're going to do and what you can do and the things that you think are important. Uh, job, uh, what, what kind of work to go into. When Margaret and I first got married, we were attending a church up in uh, Brentwood called the Lord's Chapel, and we were very heavily involved in the church, and I decided that I wanted to go to work. I wanted to work for the, for the government. I want to work for the federal government because... They don't work on Sundays, and they don't ever work on, on Wednesday nights or the evenings. And I thought, this is, a, this is great. This is what I need. I need something 9 to 5 to support my habit of working in the church. And so I, the Lord blessed, and I, and I got this job with the Social Security Administration. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, they don't work on Sundays. They don't actually work any days. But that's not really true. I mean, they, they, the, sometimes the work is... It's pretty intense and, and pretty hard. I know uh, when I first got this job, I was told it's a three-year training period. And I thought, three-year training period? What, am I going to be a doctor when I get out of this thing? Uh, this, uh, what, 
What, is, what takes three years to learn? And I found out that at the end of three years, I almost knew how to do my job. So, I mean, it, 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 it was pretty intense. But at the end of five years, the opportunity opened up to become the youth pastor at the church. And so it was one of those decisions, decision time. You know, I mean, I had a very secure, very good job where I could be very actively involved in the church with a company that, you know, in, in spite of what you know, some of the panic mode is, is not likely to go out of business anytime soon. Uh, or I could go and take a job with this church that had been in existence almost 10 whole years and might be in existence next year and might not. And, uh, you know, which one should I do? And uh, I think it's pretty obvious which one, which one I chose to do. But it was a, it was a crucial, crucial decision, crucial point. Where to live? It's a crucial decision, crucial point. The most crucial decision that you'll ever make is the decision about giving your life to Jesus Christ. Because it kind of sets up all of these others, puts criteria for all of these others. Had I made that first decision about the, the wedding thing before I made that one about Christ, I don't know that it would have worked out quite so well as it has turned out to work out. A lot, of, a lot of decisions that we make, a lot of decisions that we make that don't seem to impact others, impact them in a great way. Once you give your life to Christ, you tend to start hanging out with people and in places where you're liable to be a lot more successful in making that marriage choice. Now, I'm not saying that you can't find a good husband or a good wife in a bar. Did he just say that? Yes, he did. When we go out to have dinner with, uh, with couples for the first time or when we you know, get, or begin to get to know couples, inevitably the question comes up, how'd y'all meet? And I love it when that question is, we go, how'd y'all meet? And things get real quiet. And they kind of look at each other. It's kind of like, oh boy, this is going to be a good one. They did not meet in Sunday school. You know, it's possible, it's possible for that, for that to sort of work out, but your odds are a lot better once you've given your life to the Lord. Now, I'm not saying, well, never mind, I'm not, I, let's, let's not go to the other side of that, but, but you, you, have to, you have to listen, you, you just have to listen. Along the way, there are dozens of smaller choices that contribute to the big ones. Deciding to, deciding to finish college was one of those for me. The only reason I finished college was because of my mom. I mean, you know, I, got, I, I had gotten all the way to the last semester, and I began to go, what? Do I, why do I really want to do this? Do I really want to take Biology 101 and 102 in the same semester so I can, so I can graduate? Uh, and I really want to do all this work. And the only reason I did was because it would have just broken my mama's heart if I hadn't have done it. And so I did, and it, you know, it opened up opportunities for me in life that I wouldn't have had if I'd, if, I'd made the other, if I'd made the other decision. But next to making the decision to give my life to Christ, probably the most important decision that I've made in my life was the decision about reading the Word, about reading the Word every day. Uh, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you five advantages that reading the Word will bring into your life, and then I want to give you three tips on what to do 
and we'll see where it goes from there. John wrote to those who are strong, who have overcome the evil one, because the word of God lives in them. How many of you would like to overcome the evil one in, in your life? Yeah. I mean, and, and now how many of you know that you can't do it? You absolutely can't do it. it, it our ancient foe is far greater than we are. But greater is he who lives in us than our ancient foe. And so here's some advantages from reading the Word. Psalm 119 is the one to, to go to to find out a lot of the advantages of the Word. How many of you have read Psalm 119? Ooh, pretty good. Yeah. How many verses are in it? Okay, that was the answer I got in the, in the first service. A lot, yeah, but... 175, yeah, of course, a lot. The one that's the most famous is Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. The Bible talks about people walking around in darkness. And oftentimes, that's, that's where we are. If, if you begin to put the word in your life on a regular basis, it becomes a light for your path. Now, it's not... A headlight that shows you what's way down the road necessarily oftentimes what we want from the word is we want something that'll tell us what's gonna happen next year what's gonna happen next month you don't want to know what's gonna happen next month you really don't I mean next month may be great but I promise you there is a month waiting out there that you don't want to know about and so what it is is it's a, it's a light for the path and it shows us where the ditch is does it keep us out of the ditch? Only if we want to stay out of it, but at least we know where it is. At least we know when we're, when we're stepping off into it. And we're not talking, here about, I'm not talking here about just knowing the rules. I'm talking here about being able to see, you know, when, when the Word lives in our hearts, there are, yeah, knowing the rules is one thing, but there, there will be times that you begin to, to edge over toward the ditch and there's just something inside of you that goes, uh, 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 wait, uh, uh, no, no, no. Yeah. And that's the word. And then there are times when you'll be going along and he'll go, yeah, go for it. That's the word. It's putting light on your path. It's going, this is, this is the way to walk. But there is also knowing what's right and What's wrong? At least so many today don't even know where the ditch is because the ditch has become normalized. The ditch has become, you know, where you're supposed to be. It, it's become where people live. Business practices. A lot of ditch area there. It has become normal. Morality. I, I, you know, I don't know, will sleeping around keep you out of heaven? I don't know if it'll keep you out of heaven, but it'll keep heaven out of you. It may seem like, you know, woo, this is, this is a lot of fun. It will mess you up. And it'll mess up a lot of things that you would like to have happen in your life. And sometimes people just simply don't know this. They, just, they, just, they simply don't know this stuff. I have a friend who uh, pastored up in Chicago for a while and he was telling me one time about preaching a sermon one Sunday about the fornication that was wrong you shouldn't be having sexual relations with people that you didn't that you didn't know and uh, I mean that you weren't that you didn't know 
Yeah, you know what? This is a fifth Sunday. I know, I know, it's a fifth Sunday. And, and what I got thrown off by was I was looking over at Margaret, and she was looking at me like, you're talking about this? Like, yeah, I'm already there. Okay, so if you have to explain words to your kids when you go home, just know it's God's will. You, sh you ought to be talking to them about this stuff anyway. Y'all will come back next week, won't you? <laughs> okay, let's see. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, he was preaching about this, and the couple comes up to him afterwards and says, man, thanks for preaching that, because we were, we were getting ready to, to enter into that kind of relationship. We didn't know that was wrong. He said, well, who doesn't know that's wrong? Well, like maybe 75% of the people that you run into every day, the ditch has become normal. They don't know that it's wrong. The Word of God is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. Verses 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your Word? I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Like I say, not sinning isn't just about knowing what the rules are. We, we tend to think that not sinning is, is the way that we don't sin is by going, I'm not going to sin willpower <laughs> apart from me you can do nothing nothing I mean willpower may keep you away from a couple of things that you go I don't want to do that but it'll lead you into some other areas that are just as much sinful areas of pride areas of arrogance areas of judgment lead you into all kinds of no the way that you stay away from sin is to Hide God's word in your heart for it to be there. Because it's, like I say, it's not just a matter of knowing the rules. The, the word will change you inside. It's a systemic. Did I get that out? Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's that thing. It makes your, it, it makes, it, it changes what your desires are. It changes what you want to do. It changes the way that you look at things. You can't do that. It will do it if you, if you put it in your heart and if, you, and if you keep it there. Verse 50, my comfort in suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Suffering will come. Suffering will come. Most of us have not really experienced real suffering. Some have. Suffering will come, though. And when we, when we think about suffering, we tend to normally think about death and, and having someone die. And very honestly, I don't know what it is about this time of year, but I can't remember the last year that I didn't do at least one funeral and usually more than one during December and January. I mean, there's just, I don't know what it is, but that, that's kind of the way that it works out. And when I, when, I do, when I do funerals, when there's that kind of issue going on, in people's lives, sickness or things, uh, they always, you know, they want to hear comfort from the Word of God, and of course they should. You know, absolutely. They want to hear, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Uh, surely I, uh, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They want to hear, I've gone to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will 
come again and take you to be with me. They, they, want to, they want to hear those sort of things, and they should. But what really gets me is if, you know, there are times when I know that nobody in this family has referenced any of that or anything else in the Word for years. And a week from now, they're not going to remember it anymore either. And it just, what keeps me going is I also understand I'm not the judge and I'm not the one who decides what's what. It's just my job to put it out there and allow the Word of God to do its work. But when, when you have walked with the Word of God, when it's there, when, when it's not like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard, I've heard that verse, but it, but it lives inside of you. It's such a different thing. I've, I've mentioned this several times lately. Both of my parents, when they went home to be with the Lord, it, 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 it was sad that they wouldn't be with us anymore, but no, no brokenness. This is what they'd lived their lives for. That hope, that expectancy, the comfort was there. It wasn't like I'm never going to see them again. And in fact, you know, when I, when I do see them again, I mean, you know, my dad will have hair and be skinny. I mean, my mom was a looker when she was young, and I'm, I'm, she's going to, she is again. But those things, unless they live there, it just seems so... You know, but the Word of God brings comfort. When it's in your life, it brings, it's there. It's already there. Nobody has to bring it to you. It is there. It's part of, of what you've got. Verses 98 through 100, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. First of all, wisdom is knowing what to do. Uh, knowledge is knowing information, it's knowing stuff. Knowledge is power if you know how to use it. Wisdom is knowing how to use it. Wisdom is knowing what to do with it. And this verse isn't to boast and say that there's no need for teachers or there's, there's no need for elders. There are those who are ahead of us in the Word. Okay. And we need to, in humility, always acknowledge that and always know that. But what, it's, what it is saying is that there is, there is a wisdom that you can't get from academic pursuits. It's a wisdom you can't get from just reading books that man wrote. There's a wisdom that doesn't necessarily come with age. You know, as you get older, you do get wiser about some things. Maybe. I, I, I promise you, all of you young people and all of you middle people, and all of you people who are younger than I am, <laughs> I promise you that as you get older, you'll get, there, there will be times that you'll look back and go, man, if I had only known then what I know now. And there will probably be times when you'll go, if only my kids knew how smart I am. <laughs> knew everything that I know. Yeah. There is a wisdom that comes from that, but... This isn't that wisdom. This is a wisdom that comes from above. This is a wisdom that comes from God. And it only comes through having the Word of God in our hearts, ha having it hidden in our hearts. 
It makes us wiser than our enemies. So what, if my in, what if my enemies know the word? Well, they wouldn't be your enemies. Because the word of God says that our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not our enemies. They're against powers and principalities. Invisible kingdoms and influences and forces. See, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is merciful. He is gracious. His mercies are brand new every morning. That's what our Father is like. And if we're like Him, then we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we're merciful, and we're gracious, and that mercy is rejuvenated, and it it becomes new every morning, and, and, and we forgive, and we love. The question is, are they your enemies or are you theirs? Because if you're theirs, then you're on the wrong side of this equation. Does that make sense? Did, 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 did that make sense? Do I need to try and say that again and, and confuse it more? Thank you. The statutes of the Lord, uh, Psalm 119, Psalm 19.7 says also the same thing. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise and simple. The only requirement for getting wisdom from the Word is that you be simple. And when the Word says forgive, oh, I forgive because the Word said to. When, when the Word says show mercy, I show mercy because the Word said to. When, when, when the Word says to be humble, I'm, I'm Humble, the word said to. We, we get in trouble. It doesn't say the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the intelligent. It doesn't say the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the, the handsome. You know, it's, it's the simple. All of us can qualify for that if we're willing to do that. And then the fifth one here says, verse 45, I walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. It's a great way to live. So many people don't even understand what freedom is. They, you know, they think that freedom is getting to do what you want to do. That would be okay if it weren't for the fact that you're a fallen being living in a fallen world and a lot of the things that you want to do will enslave you. You know, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing ain't worth nothing, but it's free. Yeah. Only the old people get that. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was looking to see how old. Okay, yeah. You grew up with old people, didn't you? (laughs) Whoever the Son has set free is free indeed. Freedom is walking in the light and truth of God's word and the light and truth of God's love and the light and truth of God's mercy. That's where freedom is. And the Word of God is the only thing that puts that in. You know, if you don't have the Word of God inside of you, really living inside of you, then it's easy to walk around in guilt. It's easy to walk. You say, well, man, if I knew the Word of God, I I wouldn't be able to do anything because I'd think everything is wrong. No, it's not that way. You'd know how much God loves you. You'd know that when you fall down, He wants to pick you back up again. You know that every time you take a step toward Him, He comes running toward you. You'd know it. It's a free free way to live. 
Okay, some tips on reading the Word. Let's do this. Read daily. There is very little in between on this. People either embrace the Word and it's part of their daily life or they virtually ignore it. I mean, there aren't hardly any three-time-a-weekers out there or, you know, bi-weekly or whatever. You know, it's either this is, this is my life or I'm fooling myself. That's really what it pretty much boils down to. And so the decision comes to read it every day. I've mentioned this several times. It's been a while since I mentioned it, but... Uh, I heard a friend say one time that he had been challenged to read the book of 1 John every day for a month. Said it would change your life. It takes about 20 minutes to read 1 John. He did it, and, you know, and it made a big impact on him. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. And I did, and it made a big impact on me. And I've mentioned it several times over the years, and some of you have done it. It makes a big impact on you. But let me tell you, read anything in the Bible for 20 minutes every day, and it'll change your life. And if you do 20 minutes a day, it'll get you through the Bible in a year, probably, depending on which version you take and how fast you read. <laughs> but it'll, it'll, it'll pretty much get you through the Bible in a year. And if you, if, 20, if you don't have 20 minutes a day to give to the Lord, seven minutes a day gets you through the New Testament in a year. Got seven minutes. Anybody got seven minutes a day they can give to the Lord, you know? Uh, what about, I mean, if you don't have seven minutes a day, how about verse of the day? I mean, something, something every day to put inside and feature, read it every day. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I promise you, every one of you here is a human being. Is that correct? <laughs> promise you, if you don't do it every day, you're hardly going to do it at all. It's just that way. Secondly, second tip, get a Bible you understand. <laughs> you know, 20 years ago, this one, this one was more difficult than it is today. I, today, you know, most people kind of are okay that they're, everybody does understand that the Bible was not written in English, right? It was written in Hebrew and Greek and a little bit of Aramaic. So any English Bible that you read is a translation, all right? And, tra and translation is, a, is an art. It's not, it's not a science. Uh, I grew up, the King James Version was the only one, and for a long, long time, a lot of people thought, and some still do, you know, well, that, that's still it, you know. Paul wrote it, I read it, that's it. <laughs> and uh, here's the thing, King James Bible's a good Bible. It's a good Bible. It's got a few translation issues, but virtually all of them do. Uh, but here's how you know if you should be reading King James Bible. I, and, and I don't mean this facetiously at all. If you enjoy reading and understand Shakespeare, you should get the King James Bible. Shakespeare's wonderful, beautiful. Uh, and and so, is, so is the King James Bible. Not everybody can follow it. Okay? On the other end of the spectrum, we got the Message Bible. Every now and then you'll, uh, we'll have a, in fact, fairly often, if, if it's not me, uh, we'll have one of the uh, Message Bible quotes up there. And uh, here's the thing about the Message Bible. It's a good one. And I've read it. Um, in fact, I've read all of these that I'm going to talk about here. Uh, Eugene Peterson 
every now and then he can't really help you know putting his own interpretation into, into some things that's okay he's a human being you know most of the time i agree with him but but still uh that that can be a little bit of an issue there but but the way that he writes some things just blows you away i mean there's there's some ways that he translates some things that just wow open up new vistas new ideas for you i will say this it's longer than most other translations if you're going to read the the message bible through this year you might want to take like 23 minutes a day instead of 20 because because he he gets a little wordier than, than some of the other translations on the other hand speaking of wordy if you're a word wonk and you love words and you want to know all the words that there possibly could be about anything then there's this thing called the amplified bible and, you know, and, I'm, and, and some people are. I mean, some people, you know, they want to know every word that could possibly put in, be put in there, and that's, that's great. If you're one of those people, then get one of these Bibles. Uh, but if you're going to read it through this year, you might want to go to 30 minutes or something like that because it's, it's got a bunch of words in it. No, no question about it. For most people, uh, there's three Bibles that I'm going to recommend. Uh, one of them is a, is a New International Version. That's the one that I generally teach out of. It's uh, the one that we normally will read out of before, uh, before my sermons up here. Um, good translation. It, it, it's good. It's good, solid. Been around for a pretty good while. Uh, in fact, for the last 20 years or so, it's been the best-selling English version of the Bible. So it's, it's kind of become the standard in, in much of the English-speaking world. Uh, another one is the CEV, the Contemporary English Version. Uh, I mention this for a couple of reasons. One, because it's a, it's, it's a really good Bible. And then two, because uh, there's a, I understand that there's a really good audio version of this Bible that's, uh, that's been put out. And you can, uh, and that makes you, I uh, want to make you aware that, you know, if you, if you don't have time to read, do you have time to drive your car? Does your car have a CD player in it? Does it have a place you can plug in your, your iPhone or your, or your MP3 or, or whatever you're uh, into it? Hearing. Hearing's the next best thing. That, that's something you could possibly do as well. But the CEV is one that I can recommend. And then probably my new favorite at this point in time is the New Living Translation. It's good. It's really good. Now, Don McCain's going to get on to me because I don't have the New American Standard up there. And Rodney probably will as well, but I'm sorry. They, uh, I don't. I've only, had, I've only got room for three pictures. <laughs> yeah. But the New Living, now, the, the, the Living Translation, which is not called the Old Living, but just called the Living Translation, because I guess they figured the old living would not sell very well. Uh, can't really recommend that. But the New Living Bible is really a good Bible. Uh, it really is. I, I've, in fact, I've been reading through it this year, and I'm probably going to read it again next year. I, I've really come to enjoy it a lot. And then let me say, you know, if you don't, let's see, what do I need? Yeah, no, I need to move on here. Let's move on to the next thing. The next thing is buy a Bible. Buy a Bible. Now, if you just absolutely cannot afford one, we'll give you one. But if you can at all, even if you have to sacrifice to do it, in fact, especially if you have to sacrifice to do it, buy one. It's like, 
Financial Peace University, you know, they don't let you go there free. You got to buy the thing to come because they found out if you go free, you won't stay for the whole thing. But if you're invested in it, if you've put something in it, then you'll do it. So when I say buy a Bible, I mean, I don't go get you one of those, you know, $5 specials. Uh, get, get you leather bound, put, have your name embossed on the thing, get the fine India paper and, and, and everything, one that, you know, smells like a book and everything, and, and, and own it. And then don't just sit it up and go, I have an expensive Bible. No, use that thing, read it. You, you paid for this thing, put, put something into it. Now, if, you, if, you're, if you're like me, and you're not necessarily bound to book thing, you're, you're, don't let anybody, let no one speak ill of your digital device. <laughs> you know, and I know there's some people go, well, that doesn't really count. You're reading the telephone. No, no, I'm not reading the telephone. I'm reading the Bible. In fact, I've got eight versions of the Bible on my telephone. How many you got in your book? You know, I mean, that, that's, that's the thing. You got study guides and all sorts of things like that. Do it. Go for it. Uh, keep it. And, and, you know, on your, let me just make some suggestions. On your computer, you, uh, there's, a, there's a place called BibleGateway.com. Hundreds of translations. Translations in all kinds of foreign languages that, that, that would be on there. And then study guides and, and reading guides and, and all kinds of things you can do. If you're, if you're talking about, uh, you know, your, your phone or something, a couple of uh, apps I could recommend. Both of these apps are free. There's uh, Bible and Bible.is. Um, for most of the stuff, you do have to be connected to, uh, to the Internet. But you, you can download versions of the Bible that you can read offline on those as well. So, I, you know, do it. Take some initiative. You know, don't just check into the hotel and steal the Gideon Bible. I, you, do. <laughs> 2013, coming. Let me very quickly finish up. New Year's, a lot of people make resolutions. Hopefully you'll make changes in your physical routine and in your finances and Maybe the music you listen to, who knows, television you watch. However, Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, physical training is of some value. Physical things are of some value. But godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And after today, uh, you're at one of those decision places in your life. You're at one of those crossroads. Or you either go, you know, I'm going to do that, or no, I'm not going to do it again, and maybe, maybe, maybe next year. <laughs> well, next year's two days away. Uh, but you're at one of those places where you can make a decision that will actually change your life and change it for the better, and you need to do it. The first series that we've got in this coming year, Inquiring Mayans Want to Know, uh, <laughs> By the way, you have those cards to hand out to people. We're going to be covering a lot of things. We, we believe that the last days are near. That Christ is coming. Boy, I wish he'd be in 2013. We'll see. Because we sure need him. And if we think we need him here, you ought to be in most of the other places of the world. You'd really be thinking it. 
But, you know, we're going to be talking about prophecy and how to, how to recognize a false prophet, how to understand prophecy, the, the rapture, the antichrist, a lot of stuff there. Here's the thing. As we get close to the last days, you can absolutely, positively count on the fact that there'll be false prophets and false teachers, and they're going to be good. Now, most of us are arrogant enough to think, oh, I can spot one of those. Can't fool me. Oh, yes, they can. Yes, they can. The only defense that you have I mean, the Bible says that they're going to be so good and so convincing that they'll convince even the elect if that were possible. The world's going to run after them, and a lot of the church is going to run after them. The only defense you have is to have the Word of God inside of you. You know, I mean, I, I believe that, that the, the teaching is sound here, and I'm, you know, I'm not just talking about myself and not just talking about myself and Barbie and the people that you see up. I mean, the, what the youth are getting on Wednesday nights, what the children are getting in their classes. Uh, the, the teaching is sound here. But if this is all you get, if this is it, then you're not very well defended. Because you, you don't, you're not going to keep but a precious very little of what you hear. But if daily... If daily the Word of God becomes inside of you, it lives in you, that's when you become strong. That's when you overcome the evil one. There are very few sure things in this world, but here too, very quickly, give your life to Jesus Christ. That will change everything else. Read the Word daily. Next to giving your life to Christ, that's the most important thing you can do as a believer. It will absolutely revolutionize who you are. It will come alive in you, and you'll come alive in Him. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to pray with people, come forward. If you're here and you don't know Christ, we invite you to come. We'd love for you to, we'd love to introduce you to him. It's not hard. He, he died for you. He, he's the one who made the big journey. It's just a small journey to walk down the aisle. If you're here and you have any other need, we'd love to pray with you. But especially if you're here and you go, you know, I tried this before. I, I was going to read the Word every day. I, I, I've tried that several times. It just hasn't worked. Put some prayer behind it. Put some prayer with it. Ask one of these brothers and sisters to pray with you. I was talking to Barbie before the service, and she said, you know, what really changed me is I, I just had to ask God to give me a love for His Word. I'd, I'd grown up with it being kind of crammed down my throat, and I just had a hard time getting... And I just had to... Ask him to make me fall in love with it. He did. Well, ask. Have not because you ask not. So we're going to worship for a few moments. We'll wait for you. If you need any of those things, anything that the Holy Spirit's put on on your heart, you come. We'd love to pray with you.
church, at least a church of more than 10 or 15 people, but everybody in the church reads the word every day. Boy, that kind of sounds like heaven. I really, I really wish that would happen with you guys because I know what it would do in your life. I know what it would do for you. Mm. I know what it would do to this community. So anyway, I'm not browbeating you. I just love you and want it for you. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world as the living word, 
who gave us the Bible as his written word. May he reveal to you the beauty of both. May he give you a hunger, not only to draw near to Christ, but to draw near to his word. May his word become alive in you. May it make you strong. And may you overcome our adversary through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.